Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the NDA podcast. We're here to challenge topics the industry has been keeping under waiver for years. Unfiltered conversation with no fear of being cancelled. Bringing creatives of different levels, different backgrounds and very different opinions together. Debating the issues we only dare discuss over our Twitter DMs. So get ready for some honesty because we're about to break all the NDAs. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's quite exciting. It's starting to feel like we are building a little bit of a community with NDA, which is awesome. I've had loads of messages on the past few episodes, so keep them coming in. Love to read them. And we're going to be revisiting some of the topics at the end of the season. So we're at the NDA podcast, Insta, Twitter. This week's episode is called The Elusive Inclusive Studio. Of all my topics, I think this might seem like one of the broadest, maybe. I think that's because the issue itself or the topic is quite tricky to define or sum up in like one or two sentences. I think inclusivity is a word we hear a lot. We don't often talk about what that means individually to business in studios or hear how people are actioning it, not just like tagging it onto their about page or at the end of their job ads. There's so much to get through, so I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves. Uh, Ebony, can you kick us off? Yeah, hello. My name is Ebony Montague. I use she, they pronouns, and I'm the founder of HR Said That, which is basically a HR consultancy for the creative industries. And I help organizations to utilize HR to make their workplaces more inclusive. Uh, hi, I'm Yi. My pronouns are she, her, and um, I'm a designer, illustrator. Um, I used to work with KE at Supple Studio, but recently changed jobs, and I'm now based in Bristol. Hi, my name is Aries Moros. My pronouns are they, them. I've been the director of Studio Moros now for 10 years, and I'm also on the quest to find out how to create an inclusive workplace. <laughs> My name's Wale. I'm a graphic designer. My pronouns are he, him. I think I'm a free inclusive studio. <laughs> uh, we'll find out. No, I'm joking. It's a great studio. <laughs> awesome. I'm Katie Cadwell. My pronouns are she, her. I'm going to try and ask some of the questions that I'm hoping you're going to be thinking as we go along. But also I'm reading out lots of thoughts and stories, some good, some bad. So let's kick off. We're going to start really, really broad. Um, Wale, I'm going to put you on the spot. The word inclusive, like what does that actually mean to you? If something or somewhere is inclusive, how would you define that? Inclusivity to me is just the idea that even if I'm not seeing myself, I'm seeing a breadth of, say, cultures, backgrounds and kind of stories. So like places that I've been always find pre-2019, people would say they're inclusive, but when you look around, it's mainly just a bunch of like straight white dudes. And then maybe like the one black guy or black woman would be in HR. And then 
when it hits 2020, you kind of saw that those people being tapped on the shoulders, like, can you speak up? And it's like, I just want to do my job. Leave me alone. So that's what inclusivity means to me. And yeah, I just find that an inclusive studio is somewhere that just doesn't really make you feel like you're the token person. Like you look around and this person may not be black, but I understand their story. Or you just find that you're all drawn to the same kind of center points. Yeah, I'm going to jump to you. What, what, what do you think inclusivity means or what does it mean to you? Um, cool. Uh, so basically, when you asked if I wanted to be on this, I was sort of like, fuck, what do I know about like being inclusive and what it looks like? I hadn't really like thought about it. But then I did a bit of reading and research and realized that um, actually I live it, right? Because I just call it by a different name. It's more, for me, it's more like the sort of the vibe of the studio. And I feel like if you have a good studio of good vibes, you feel supported, you feel valued and you feel like your voices are heard um even though i don't want to reduce this big topic to a feeling but um should we... no i think that's an awesome answer ebony how about you what does what does inclusive mean yeah so to be inclusive for me personally is to um go into a space and not have to endure any barriers or any issues or discrimination and know that yeah maybe I might be the only black queer woman in that space but I'm not gonna be isolated because of those reasons and it's interesting what Wally said about 2020 where that sort of one black person in HR was sort of being asked to sort of be the monolith for this sort of movement I was that one black person so it was really funny when you said that I was like yeah that was me in 2020 um, and that was a really interesting experience, both good and bad. And we might be able to get into that later. But yeah, for me, when it's when it comes to inclusivity in a space, it's like I don't want to have to, yeah, endure anything difficult. Um, I should be sort of respected on, on like a human level, of course, but also respected for my difference and not just tolerated for it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome answers, Aries. You're gonna round us round us off. Um, I guess for me, like as someone that desires to be included and also to create inclusivity, like it's a two, there's two parts to it. Um, I think understanding that there um, isn't a single approach and like there, literally if you approach something with a one size fits all, you, you know, basically every space includes and excludes people naturally through the through just the way that physics and time and all of these things exist. It's just about creating like a structure that is open to be moved around at all times and like doors to be opened and, and shuffled. And it's just about something never being fixed and it always be, being fluid, not creating or having assumptions about what people need um, to do their jobs or need to, to feel safe and, and to feel included. It's just about like, something being so open and free from assumption and tokenism and yeah I mean it's a it feels like a a ever expanding thing that always needs to be improved and built on so that was a really abstract (laughs) no I well I think it's really interesting that some are some do feel a little bit more abstract like you can't get more abstract than a vibe but I totally understand that like I think a lot of people could relate to that like it can feel a little bit intangible, which is why I think it's kind of a difficult thing to to discuss. So I really want to just, I asked this question on Insta and a couple of people said, 
um, what they thought inclusivity meant to them. Uh, different people and experiences, but not just that they're there, that they're respected and they're heard, which I think is kind of what Wale and Ebony, you were saying. A diverse group, but that doesn't just look like gender and race. That also looks like background and age. I had age a lot, which is really interesting, something we don't talk about very often, being encouraged to express yourself or share. Um, so I guess that's a, about being an active member of a studio. Uh, working with good clients, I want to come back to that a little bit later, what clients mean to inclusivity and feeling safe, which is what we what we all want. So I just wanted to ask, maybe this might be a little bit more appropriate to Yi or Wale. And Yi, I know you've just been hunting for a job. If a studio says we're inclusive, what, what does that give you? Are you like rolling your eyes? Does it feel like it's becoming a bit of a, a trigger phrase at the moment? Or do you think, oh, yeah, that's cool? Yeah, for sure. Like um, like you said earlier, it feels it's such an intangible thing. And um, being when you say you're inclusive, it means different things, different people. Like my needs are going to be totally different to the next person. Um, so when you say, so when they're like, oh, this is going to be an inclusive studio, but I'd need, I need like actual, like, what do you mean? Like actual things, like we do this or we work this way. Like I need actual definitions of that. Um, just chucking that word out there. It's the same as like, uh, we're uh, really flexible. It's like, you're not really, you're flexible this way, but not certain ways. So yeah, it, it needs to be defined more, um, even though it's hard to define. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I feel like when an agency or someone who's interviewing me says that they're an inclusive studio, already by then I've already probably done the research or I would kind of ask to hear about what clients they work on or say, look at the makeup of their studio or like where they're based. So say if you're somewhere like, say, uh, Deptford, but then when I look around, I don't really see people who are not exactly from Deptford, but kind of like make up that make that background, then I get a bit shaky or a bit curious. Because it's like, how can you come to somewhere that's quite diverse and quite like tightly knit, but then have all these people who are quite, say, not of that vibe in a sense? And then it's just like language. So one thing that kind of came, that popped up to me as well is family. And that's something that I've also had to kind of like knock out of my head. Because I think when I first came for an interview with Aries, I let out the word, like, I want a family to like help me kind of grow. And Aries is like, no, 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 no. Like we're like, we're an agency, we're a business, but we're not a family. And already straight away that kind of should go, why have I like, put this in my head as like i need a family union to kind of progress or to grow because already that kind of gives you a lot of co uh, toxic connotations and yeah that's generally my vibe awesome they're like um inclusivity red flags maybe there's a a book we could make um so that feels like a really good moment to actually be a little bit <laughs> negative and and talk about examples of exclusion so i don't necessarily think it needs to be personal if you don't feel comfortable sharing that it could also be we've all got friends or we've all heard horror stories down the pub you know so um yeah I feel like maybe Ebony if you could kick us off with you know especially having been in HR examples of exclusion you've seen or typical examples of of being excluded in a studio yeah I think my in my sort of background, I've worked in sort of arts organisations where they had a design studio sort of like in-house, but as a whole, when it comes to that sort of organisation, 
or other organisations I've worked with in Manchester, when it comes to inclusion, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, everyone was so, so ready to dub change their recruitment campaigns. Oh, we need to hire more black people. We need more visible representation. Everyone was so desperate to do that. And inclusion just kind of stopped there after people were onboarded, that was it. No one was looking at inclusion within their organizations. No one was looking at whether their policies or procedures were really truly inclusive. And actually asking other staff members, asking my colleagues, some of the experience that I've had weren't inclusive people unfortunately have been discriminated against people hadn't have like fair opportunities to go for different jobs within the workplace for a whole host of reasons so actually inclusion for me it just was not translating within the workplace for these organizations inclusion was about what was sort of like front facing what can we do for our marketing what can we show to other people to sort of get them to buy into our organization but actually the reality within the workplace was actually not very inclusive which is really unfortunate. Mm. Aries, maybe you could share, uh, you've been in the industry a little bit longer than some of the other guests, uh, like examples of being excluded, different types of people being excluded. I mean, I think as an employer and having to make up this stuff a lot as you go along, especially starting out young, I think, and especially as a white person who was privately educated, like I didn't have a lot of tools that I needed to be a good employer and made many mistakes along the way. I don't want to speak on other people's experiences, like who've experienced exclusion, just in case I say something that is private out loud, even if it's anonymous. Um, So I think I can only, I think slowly, as especially it dawns on you over time how ill-equipped you are to deal with such a vast um, topic and such an infinite amount of individual experiences um, for the people who come to work with you. And a lot of the time, you know, you can, you can think you have sort of a general um, understanding of how to create a space or how to facilitate a workplace to be inclusive, but it's essentially something where there's always a new hurdle you you've got lots of lots of pals in the scene and you've been in a few studios now anything you've anything you've heard or seen and you're like oh wow actually in retrospect that's not a vibe okay (laughs) um I guess for me it's like um to bang on about the vibe thing like there are gonna be places that I feel more um comfortable with not necessarily I feel not included in a certain space. It's more that actually this space feels more suited to me because uh, whether it's because the people around me or the work that I'm doing feels more like it's um, on like my level kind of thing. Um, Again, it's really difficult to like say specifically, but like, yeah, for example, in this new studio in Bristol called um, Hey What, um, already it feels like, and I don't want to use the family word, but it it sort of is like that because you know, like you spend so much of your lives with your work um, colleagues and you, you see them more than your own family. So in a way, it sort of is like you have to lean on them for a lot more than um, you think you would. And I think, um, yeah, uh, like in this current studio, it feels, feels like somewhere I belong and um, somewhere that I could thrive and um, actually contribute as well. Cool. Uh, Wale, do you want to add anything? Yeah, so... 
say probably 2019 was my year of growth and change. So I went from freelancing for quite a while and working at a place, shout out to Liberty, which was really diverse. It was based in Brixton. And then from there, I went to a studio based in Westminster. I'm not going to name names, but we were a floor above the Brexit party at that time. <laughs> that gives you some advice. <laughs> so we got to see like the whole Extinction Rebellion themes that she like right outside our door. But it was like just a complete change in kind of vibes in a sense. So like you felt like you were almost forced to come out, have, go for drinks. There was um, this energy that just always felt a bit hostile. Like I came in new and it was like almost like you wanted to compete against everyone. So it wasn't really, it was less about collaboration, more of like whose idea comes first. And where you're kind of signing new, you're already kind of like already against the wall. You don't know where you're going to go. I just didn't really feel like I was in a safe place or a place that I felt that I could really mentally relax. So like it got to a point where say a month or two in, I was waking up with like panic attacks. I even had to leave the job temporarily due to a massive panic attack. So I was out for a week where I luckily got counseling. And then I'm sure it's been mentioned on the show about a certain event revolving a uh, fire in 2017, where it was all about names. And there was a certain name that the creative director wanted to bring up, which was to immortalize the number of people that died in this uh, tragedy. And instantly we're like, that's a really bad idea. Can we like avoid that or perhaps like reword it in some a nicer way? Because it doesn't feel like memorial feels quite insulting. And head to the ground, it was like, no, 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 we're going to keep, we're going to keep this name. And then say a week later, the inquiry came in and Sarah is like, okay, let's change your name. It's like, oh my God, this could have been so like catastrophic. Why are you doing this? Yeah, that was probably my worst time. And thankfully I left that job just after Christmas. I, I like, even just like listening to everyone's experiences, you can see as, as varied as what does inclusion mean is also how often people can feel excluded and how all the different ways that that manifests, right? So again, um, had some slightly harder to read DMs when I asked this question. Uh, a really common theme is somewhere working somewhere where everyone looks the same. It's really hard to establish common ground and create community. So even if they're not actively trying to make you feel othered, you just do by the makeup of the studio. So lots and lots of people said that. Had some more specific ones. Um, someone working in a studio and they moved and they moved to a studio that had steps when previously they didn't. And when they brought it up, there was like a, oh, studio space is really hard to come by. We don't have anyone that has access needs here. And if they do, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, so I think that they thought maybe that felt a bit backwards, like we're kind of going in the wrong direction. Language in the studio. I think this is really interesting. I think this could be a topic in general, um, but using the word guys to describe the whole team, when you're describing or critting work, using words like feminine, masculine, falling into kind of cliched language when we're in the studio, um, and then working on projects and campaigns that are against your beliefs, your individual beliefs. So maybe let's chat about that first especially because Wale you just mentioned like a like a client can you be a designer in a studio and say no I don't want to work on that project because it makes me feel uncomfortable 
I definitely think with some projects you need to ask consent from people who are working on it, whether they feel comfortable. Um, like not every project may require that, but I mean, we created a pre-consent form for projects so that people can not only say like, I, I feel uncomfortable, but also being like, I have a strong interest in this topic, which also means that like, you're not tokenizing or being like, you're gay, work on this. It's like, you can allow people to volunteer themselves for something they feel passionate about. So it works both ways. It's not just about uh, people opting out. It's about like people leaning in on something that they're really super interested in. Both of those things are important. I would say that's quite rare though. Like you yeah, are ever in studios before where they ask you, like, do you care? <laughs> I would never think to sort of, I wouldn't think I could say no. Like even mm. if it was something that I'd, wasn't too keen on I, I don't know I wouldn't think oh my god maybe I can say no to this because I've been hired to do the job surely I should just shut up and do the job um, but I do remember um, at a previous place where a, a friend was vegan and having to work on like a meat company distributor and them mentioning that she, they're not super comfortable but also like what could we do <laughs> like, I don't know I didn't think you could say no, basically. I mean, it's amazing to be asked. I think that would be awesome. And then you feel like you've got, I don't know, kind of vested interest in the project because you're really, you know, you're not just being moved around as resource. It feels like you're actually being chosen because you think that they're going to suit the brief and it feels like a really, uh, a really good fit. I also feel that's like uh, vestiges of old studio culture. It's like, I remember when I was in uni, it was always kind of like when people came in, it'd be like, you know, you work hard, you play hard, you're working to 3 a.m. So then you feel like you're being in this place, even if it's like your favorite studio, you feel like you have to always earn the right to be there. So you're like, I gotta take everything on. Even if you feel like it kind of goes against your ethics, so you're always terrified to really speak out. I mean, thankfully, where I am, which is Studio Moros, I've never had that worry of if there's a project I don't like, I could say no, or a project that I don't feel kind of um clashes with my ethics or my persona i think we vet our projects quite well and it always feels inclusive there's always um even if there's things that we probably don't vibe with we do kind of say like perhaps we should look at that again or maybe we can offer a suggestion or such as to how to change that but yeah i just feel like it's just that old time boys club as in you should like you should feel happy that you work here you're be happy that you're in this studio. You're the best. Like, we're the best. Now, I don't know the answer to this. Could I come to HR and literally say, I don't want to work on this project. I feel uncomfortable. And then do I have a leg to stand on? Like, is there a policy in place that means that designers can pick and choose their projects? Or is it like, no, no, you, you've signed a contract. You have to do it. It's so interesting. I was going to ask something similar, like on the sense that if you are working with a client that has been disrespectful to staff, like how does that, how is that managed? Because from a HR standpoint, because it's not happened from an internal employee, there's not a lot we can do unless sometimes people have terms like if something has, if there's like a dispute, we're going to end the contract and that's it. We're not going to work with you again. But unfortunately, in other environments I've worked in, some of them have been like, continue to work with external artists or um, other organizations even when in the past they have not treated staff well and it is just about 
they sometimes have really good relationships with the senior management. They don't want to break that, especially like high level artists that you bring a lot to the organization and the local area. They don't want to stop working with them, even if they are a pain to work with. So unfortunately, employees will come to HR with the issue, but I'll say, unfortunately, there's nothing a lot I can do if that senior manager still wants to work with them. But I did want to throw the question back to you all as well. Like, is has anything like that happened to you before? Or how would you go around a situation like that? Like if you had an external client that was being disrespectful or not um, following in line with your maybe inclusion policies in-house, how would you go about that? I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because most people, most clients have dark sides, I think. And I think it's hard to stop those impacting your employees. Um, I've had to reprimand clients for their behaviour and I've had to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one call to call out specific employees in an organisation. And it's not the same as like a traditional grievance, but it's like, this is me bringing you a grievance for your company to deal with your employees who are behaving a certain way. But it's a really good point, Ebony, like why don't we have inter like business to business or interpersonal business structures that we, we agree on these softer terms that aren't like legal or um, logistical. Like we should also have ways of communicating, which is about boundaries and respect. And I, we kind of have a, I mean, recently I've been working on a sort of, if you work with us, this is the deal sort of document that people sign. Like I'm, a boundaries agreement basically um but that's not legally binding is it but it's yeah. just something you can hope for i did have a point so in hr there's a term called the psychological contract and it's usually between the employer and the employee and it's kind of like unspoken terms but like really foundational terms that like just exist like basic levels of respect i'm going to show up to work on time and it's kind of like needing the same for that when you work with clients like like you said about boundaries and things like that like we agree by working together that we are going to respect each other. You're going to respect my employees. We'll um, deliver work for you on time, things like that. But if you do break those terms, then we have a right to end the contract and not work with you again. And I think it's really great to hear that you've been able to speak to clients and um, you know be able to address those. Because unfortunately, I've been in situations where people haven't been willing to address them with external clients. They've just been like, well, that's how they work. That's how their team works. We just have to deal with it. They bring too much revenue to our organization. So we're just gonna have to settle with it. And I think it's really important to do that to free employees as well, to be able to show that you're willing to protect them. You're willing to show that you do care about them and that you're not going to allow anyone to disrespect them within the workplace because if you do it's kind of like what else are you willing to tolerate from other clients as well and i think it's especially if you're working at a smaller studio where maybe the whole team has a bit more face-to-face -face interaction with the clients so there's not project management they're not protected by anyone so and i think and i, I don't want to speak on your behalf Aries, but i think as people get older the line and your boundaries well, become old. much clearer. <laughs> <laughs> Experienced. Where that line is and where that where your boundaries are, they become less foggy and you kind of know it's a bit clearer to see when someone's crossed the line. But like, so yeah, I know you've worked in studios where you're in the meetings with the clients and as one of the more junior members of the team, what would it have taken for you to go, actually, 
I didn't appreciate that. And would you have gone to your boss and kind of reported back or would you just gone, well, everyone says that clients are dicks and this client's a dick, so. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think it's easier, no, I think that the kind of bad behavior um, gets swept under easier when you're a junior or lower down. Like if you had to work with a client directly um, and they're behaving like dicks, um, that kind of thing just gets like swept away. But it's not until like the founders of companies, the creative directors that experience it, they sort of have the power to sort of stop that behavior or even just like ditch that client completely. Like as a junior or midway or whatever, you just sort of have to deal with it. Your bosses might be like, uh, you can sort it out this way or this way, but they would never go, oh yes, why don't you ditch the client? It's, it has to escalate to a higher level before something or action is taken, which I guess, yeah, it's still a thing, I think. I guess like Wally, when you're freelancing and you've kind of seen a few different ways of working, would you have felt comfortable always going to your superior to kind of say, I had this interaction, whether that was with a client or even like internal, is it always, you know, as easy as just kind of saying, actually, I want to talk to you about this and sharing? I mean, there's two layers to that. One, I feel like when you're a freelancer, you feel like you're already on shaky ground. And then there's the race aspect. So I'm not sure if it's the same for you, Ebony, but I'm sure you've had to kind of, not exactly code switch, but have to just make yourself small, like capable, but also to the extent where you don't want to kind of like tread on toes. You want to like police everyone, but not also antagonize people. So you kind of like keep your grievances very small and try to like not focus on those problems. Even if it's like, say, perhaps microaggressions, things like, oh, you're very well-spoken. It's like, yeah, I am. I did public speaking. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. So you just try to like not want to address those things. Yeah, that's a really great point you made, Wally, about there is that extra layer of when you are a black person in a space, when you want to raise an issue or a grievance, you have to be so conscious of how you deliver that. Like, I am always very conscious of the way I speak or my tone because I don't want to be labelled as an angry black woman, even if something is has angered me like there was an instance where i've had to raise a grievance about racism that i witnessed within the workplace but i then endured further gaslighting within the situation i had to just not in sort of take it but just address it as formally as possible like, i couldn't just then like lash out or just be like well actually this isn't okay and this is not how you address it like it's just like kind of you have to like kind of coax people and like educate them in a way and it's just very that can be really infuriating because it goes at a pace where it's like I'm having to educate you at the same time whilst enduring this. So, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, it can be, yeah, really annoying when in the workplace and infuriating. And I feel like it is good to talk about it because to get people to understand what we have to endure when we do raise grievances and issues within the workplace there is a lot more work to do in terms of supporting colleagues and how to raise grievances and especially ones where they're not really understanding what microaggressions are and i have worked with clients recently actually on reviewing their grievance policies where they are more person-centered so the person raising the grievance gets extra support maybe from someone external from the same protected characteristics someone that has lived experience as well that would come in and really support them so it's not the onus isn't on the person raising the grievance to then educate um the staff members or their manager while raising the grievance i think even just like the you mentioned gaslighting some of these experiences are really hard to prove it's easy to prove that you don't have disability access to your studio, but it's not easy to prove a microaggression that you experience in a meeting or an inappropriate look or uh, energy from a client. So how d- does that put people off? Because some of those like intangible things, you go to your boss and it might feel a bit like you're being a bit dramatic or I don't know. I think though, like evidence-based grievances, like what, so often in businesses we wait for these huge moments where we need evidence and reporting and investigations and like the the solution is not that the solution is to like engage with really small nuanced stuff early and like have a space where you can talk about it and ask questions and not require an investigation to like work out if like someone made said something that made you feel uncomfortable because in a workplace where there are diverse people there are going to be uncomfortable people because we will not understand everything about each other's intersections so like someone will say something and it will make you feel weird and you might just need to talk to someone about it It doesn't necessarily need to be like a full report of a getting someone you know a warning it can just be like hey like I'm not sure I like it when you call me that or and that needs to be more made more normal I think just this idea of conversing around small topics and communicating between us and having a space where people feel comfortable to like just say hey that made me feel a bit weird or I'm not sure about that or did you see what that client said do you think it was this just a space where you can have those chats like without fear and like with confidence that people will listen to you believe what your point of view is before you know I really feel like those are solutions to avoiding major grievances and major discrimination in the workplace is tackling the smallest tiniest crumbs so early like so they don't turn into like boulders later on who is that person that you go because if it's the creative director or the founder and you're trying to keep an eye on everyone and being as available as that all the time then I don't know how you would you know also run a business and do all that new biz stuff and and the creative but some smaller studios well often smaller studios say we don't need HR we don't need that external person so like who whose role do you think that should be we have a pastoral manager which i would recommend to like any company which is not an hr person but it's someone who doesn't who's not employed by the company who each of our staff meet with regularly and if they have anything private that they want to discuss they can 
and then that pastoral manager has like their consent if if they want to to open up a wider conversation and also multi-level check-ins people have check-ins with their managers with me with pastoral managers just like about making sure there's time for everyone to have a conversation is that easier while like being able to go to someone kind of neutral almost yeah because like Ari said you don't feel like they're almost attached to the business so you're able to kind of talk to them air grievances and kind of like hash it out so maybe it's like have you thought about it this way have you um spoken about this Do you have anyone in the studio that you can kind of like confide in or like who's your line manager do you want to chat about this or like i feel like you hear it from like your close ones and you don't really acknowledge it but when you hear it from someone who you know is actually impartial in a sense you kind of see the bigger picture and know like how can i approach this in a way where i don't feel like if i show a bit of emotion i'm going to because like i mean every time we lift the table i can lift the table high so <laughs> <laughs> it's like so they don't see it as like oh crap is he going to like flip out because yeah it's weird and it it's like something that i've seen a lot so like here's just a quick caveat as in i went to this uh, event called where are the black designers which was um a lot of black creatives in they did a meet up in great portland street so it was just like seeing a lot of black black creatives like photographers artists and so on and one thing that kind of came up to me is that a lot of them work up in uh, startup agencies rather than like design studios which was kind of like shocking to me and then from that a lot of them were saying that oh yeah some of us some of our friends have like moved to america which is when you think about american race you think wow that's insane but it's always the story of in it's really subtle here and it gaslights you and makes you feel like you're literally going insane if you don't kind of perhaps the saints on the best term of words but you're kind of like losing your mind if you even address it or you want to speak about it so it's like i'd rather go somewhere it's up front if someone's to call me the n-word they'll call me the n-word and i'll move on with my life we call it we go outside we slap faces move on with my life and it's just bizarre to me yeah i was gonna ask so you've worked at slightly smaller studios where there definitely is that kind of like isn't that buffer between you and the boss um so has that stopped you from maybe like airy said bringing up stuff a bit earlier and having to wait till it feels really serious and like you've got some proof before you kind of raise a topic yeah i think for sure because when you're such a small studio you don't you don't want to upset the balance like we you work with them every day and like they're gonna know it's them <laughs> do you mean um but that's what i think that you guys have um, like an external person that's out of this business, almost out of the industry as well. Yeah, I think that would be, if that was like the norm, that'd be great for everyone that they can literally air out everything and not having to worry about repercussions or, cause there's always gonna be that black mark next to your name. That's like, this person brought up this thing and it never goes away. Um, and, and somehow I feel like in a larger agency where there's more people, um, that might actually be easier to implement because um, there is, yeah, there's just so much more people and it's, you're not, it's just less focused on you almost. Totally. So like uh, just if someone was listening, right, and they work in a slightly smaller studio, they don't have a HR body or someone impartial and they want to go and take something to their boss, but I think people can be a little bit defensive when you take it as like a personal attack um so how do you 
How do you get around that? How do you have a constructive conversation when someone's on the defence? There needs to be greater support for line managers built into like training for them and how to not be defensive and how to really support staff. Like I appreciate people have targets, people have things that they need to complete. So it's kind of like, well, we don't have time for this right now. Can we put it aside? Whatever. But there really needs to be greater line managers support in the pastoral sense, like Aries was saying, like really understanding how to support this employee when they do bring up an issue even if it's not a formal grievance and being having the um what's it emotional intelligence to really sit with that and be like okay how can i address this how can i resolve this issue it's something that i am sort of working on with clients as well um so i know a lot of free resources as well so people do need to sort of do their own research in that respect um and i appreciate that it's a journey and not everyone's gonna get the get it right the first time. And I think people are afraid of that. I think Aries, you mentioned that earlier, like people don't want to say the wrong thing, but actually like, you're not going to get it right all the time. I don't get it all right all the time. And I work in HR and it's okay too. So as long as you have the, yeah, the emotional intelligence to sort of be like, okay, I'm learning this, I'm going to apply it in this way. And I'm just going to build on top of this, then at least you're trying. Yeah, I think we have to be, as employers anyway, we have to be used to feeling uncomfortable and we have to be re- realise that it's not personal. And by making things personal, it's a lot more harmful. Like you have to, I think it, when you depersonalise yourself within a company as much as possible and you create that boundary, you also then remove a lot of harm that you could potentially do. And also it means you don't become defensive because you realise that, things are going to happen. And, you know, I I did a talk recently that was like, if something bad happens in your workplace, it's your fault, basically. And like, was trying to explain that concept that like everything under your roof is your responsibility. Um, Every single thing, even if someone else makes a mistake, you have the power to remove those mistakes from happening. Like there's something like you said, Ebony, about training, or is it about access or whatever it is, it's like, it's your responsibility. And that is like overwhelming, but also like it's kind of relief, a relief if you take it away from a personal thing. And it's just like, oh, you just have to make it better all the time. Like everyone in the team also can help. Like as a team, we work together to improve everything together. Policy, action, communication. Like it's not all on you. It's a team. It can be a team project as well. Like if it's done in a way that people feel safe raising their opinions, of course, but... I hate the idea of people taking a problem to uh, a manager and the defense, like, I know what it feels like, that defensive instinct to just be like, you're over, you're overthinking it or, you know, it's not my problem or trying to argue something. You just have to not argue and just listen and then like take a minute and go away and think about what you can do better. And that would be my advice to a manager. Obviously I can't speak to an employee, but for an employee, I think, unfortunately, like, you might have to do the work, especially if it's discriminatory. I feel like it. there's things like how to frame a, a grievance or, or, or something you want to bring up so that the person doesn't feel defensive about it, which is messed up. Like it shouldn't be the way it is. You should be able to say that thing you said was sexist without that person being defensive. But you could say something like it felt this way or it... Um, it could be perceived as a sexist comment. I mean, that's distancing and diminishing it, but in some ways, if you're feeling like you're in an uncomfortable situation with your boss, obviously you should be able to be that direct. 
but there might be ways of kind of like softening the complaint so that it maybe doesn't make someone as defensive. And I'm not saying I agree with that concept. I'm just saying that that might be useful. I've done that with clients. I've said this could be perceived a certain way or think about the context of this. And often the client will be like, oh, yeah, you're right. And it's fine. Whereas if I was saying you've had a really shit idea and it's going to hurt people, then they might be a bit more defensive about it. I don't know what other people feel about that approach, but it may be useful. I've got a couple more questions, so I'll just whiz through these. Um, do we think it's really it's a lot easier to be inclusive around the things that you have experience in? So obviously we are all coming from very specific viewpoints with particular characteristics and so it's obviously a little bit easier maybe to identify and figure out how to create an inclusive environment for those characteristics. So do we think that that's the, that's the case? And if it is, how do we make our inclusivity a bit broader than that, I guess? It's definitely the case, I think. But I think one of the things is that you have to learn that every single individual has a completely unique perspective and like new unique experience so even if i'm trans or i'm queer or you know those things apply to me they'll apply to someone else in a very different way and that the ingredients list is going to be completely different to that person's experience so obviously i might be a better employer of trans people because i'm trans but that doesn't mean i'm infallible either um and i think I don't see things all the time to do with gender. I miss them. In fact, sometimes my transness makes me miss other types of sexism that is around me, even though I was socialized as a woman. Like I'll miss things that other people will pick up on because that's all they see and it's not directed at me. Like I don't see like the same type of sexism as my female like women colleagues. The, there's no way of fixing it other than listening and, and having a diverse group of employees that will bring to you their experiences and their requirements and their needs and just building and building and building it out. And that's unfortunate, but the only thing that we can do is like try and learn from each other to a degree and, and, and listen to podcasts like these where you listen to other people's experiences. And that's the best thing you can do is learn from case studies and, and listening to, to what people have to say because it's impossible to imagine other people's experiences. For sure, I agree. Like, it's, you, you, can, you serve those people best by asking them what they need, don't you? Like, ask them, how can we make this inclusive for you? Obviously, sometimes you might get competing needs and you need to really do make a compromise, but your employees will know themselves best and they know what they need within the workplace best. I do ask them if you're really stuck and you do have the money for it there are lots of different consultants particularly catered to the creative industries as well that do do a lot of inclusion work ACAST do do a bit of resources as well as well as like CIPD where they're like their professional body for HR um so you can check out them when it comes to different resources but yeah like Ari said just ask your employees like they know what's best for them Someone actually sent in the DMs. So obviously there's that like one-on-one -on -one chats and catch up and check-ins, but that their studios do like a monthly all day, which is not necessarily like a social thing. They're talking about processes, but also culture. And that's like another moment where they share their experiences. So I thought that was quite cool. So on that note, on the daily, what can we do to make our studios feel more inclusive? It's easy to talk about what policy can we put in place and what can what can your boss do 
Wally, maybe you can answer first. What do you think on the on the day that we should all be doing to make the studio more inclusive? Honestly, I guess a simple term would be to allow yourself to make mistakes and to just also be open to receiving criticism on your character. It may not always be the best thing to hear, and it might suck in that hour or two, but it helps you grow. Because I feel like as a people, and it's not like a cancer cult, cancel culture thing, but it's more of like people are so scared of making mistakes, they try to kind of box themselves in, and then they're more prone to either going stale or stagnant. Where, like, say, at our agency, I think because of um, Aries's current like position as being um, non-binary, there's more likely to cast the net net out so you get more people who are drawn from diverse backgrounds and that also kind of like covers your bases it also helps you learn different things yeah what about you what what do you think we can all be doing on the daily um i think it's just having that open mind to like learning and listening um you might be working with the same people but if you can take yourself out of that situation and like learn from other people other cultures and so and read about it as well like that's like um, there's so many free resources that we just don't sort of make the time for to, to educate ourselves and me included as well. Like I should be looking at more stuff and reading about it and not just coming in being a bit ignorant and be like, oh, I don't know, but I'll learn on the day kind of thing. And actually, yeah, educating yourself like actively. What would you like, this is maybe a slightly different question to you, Aries. What would you like your team to be doing? So when you're not there, what what do you want them to be doing on the ground to be looking out for each other and continuing practicing i guess what you're trying so hard to set out i think like the majority of this stuff comes down to just not making assumptions about anyone and i think also what yi and wale both said about just listening and not being afraid to take criticism those three things are pretty universal and like removing or not removing, because it will still happen, but like creating space for mistakes, improvement, education, and also creating an environment where people feel comfortable apologising, <laughs> um, learning something new, realising that they're wrong, and being able to just address it instantly and be like, oh, sh- I didn't, I didn't realise that wasn't an okay thing to say, sorry, and never say it again. Um, or, I'm, you know, I misspoke or, I'm, you, you know, it happens. Like, it's totally normal, I think. We don't want to cancel culture. We want a culture in workplaces, certainly, where people get better at things. Um, and obviously, if they are really awful, they they leave. <laughs> they are asked to leave politely in the correct way. Um, but um, I'm really blessed with a truly open-minded and um, open-hearted team who do a lot of those things every day, anyway. So, but as Wale said, like difference attracts difference. So, you know, as a leader of a studio where I have some intersections, although I have many advantages and privileges in my own life, I do attract a broad range of employees because of my identity. And that isn't the case for a lot of leaders. Um, they are, you know, white men who are in, have, have, have been in industry a long time. So how do they appeal and attract and create workplaces that are better for marginalised people? underrepresented communities it's a very tricky one they have to do a lot of work (laughs) as I have and you know as they should um so yeah 
yeah, it's important to be open and important to be patient with not only yourself, but with other people as well. But I think it's also important to not feel the pressure to react quickly, especially to what's happening externally. I know a lot of organizations I've worked with have been like, oh, this person's doing this thing in terms of inclusion. This person's just hired an equality, justice and belonging manager. What are we doing? And it's like just be focused on yourself and your own organization and be focused on your people and really think about what you can do internally and not about what you can show externally because people like to do a lot of performative uh, allyship performative actions and that can be really tokenistic and they're not thinking about actually what do my team members actually want what can i actually do for them internally so yeah don't be so quick to respond um to everything happening in the outside world that's awesome um all right last question and i'll just get everyone to kind of list one thing i guess why do we strive for it what what impact does inclusivity have on our work on the studio like why should we all be pushing so hard to to be inclusive yeah you just looked at me you can go first (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just for like happier humans right we just want to we just want to be happy and chill and actually make going to work not a dread. So, yeah, just that. <laughs> you want to go to work and be like, cool, this is going to be a sick day. Or you don't want to be like, oh, fuck, Monday again. <laughs> I mean, from a HR standpoint, there's, of course, like the Equality Act. So it's like a legal requirement for organizations to do that. But also personally, I feel like the stakes are just too high to not be inclusive. It has such a terrible impact on employees when we are not inclusive on their mental health, on their physical health, on their financial well-being as well. It could impact whether they get a promotion or the career progression or not. And I feel like it's not enough to just be like, oh, we want to be inclusive because it looks great and it's great for our marketing and everybody else is doing it. Like, actually, we need to really think about how it impacts people and how it just embeds, enriches their work lives, but also them personally as well. I feel like inclusivity brings in people and stories you'd never expect. So whether it's a child who hasn't gone to university, but they're in college, but they have so much to tell, they have a completely different perspective from, say, me, you bring that in and then you also give them the chance to progress. Because I feel like when you're not inclusive, you don't see the ladder. So you think that, okay, I've joined the place, I'm going to stay as a junior for five years, but you probably have more skill and you have more potential to always ascend higher and move forward. So when you feel like you have an inclusive environment, you know how to kind of see the pathway. And I feel Mm. that's something a lot of people miss out on, sadly. Yeah. Aries, how about you? Well, I think we all currently live under capitalism, obviously, um, and being inclusive is one way to negate or try to negate how harmful capitalism is and i think like that's what we can do we have to go to work we have to earn money we we have to do these things we don't we have to pay tax like we don't have a choice so being inclusive is one way to like you said and like and basically make it not horrible <laughs> like make it not harmful make it not hurt the people who are already hurting from society like we need to be doing as much as we can to improve people's lives and have a better time. And um, yeah, money is important. Let's not hurt people when they're just trying to make money, you know? Totally. 
It's nice and optimistic way to end. Um, <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I think so. I think the co- I think the core message was optimism. If we put join all four together. The only other thing I wanted to add, and it kind of touches into your point, Aries, which is we all need to make money. Comfortable people, happy people, people that feel safe make really good work. Um, I think Studio Moros is a good example of that. And people that are stressed and burnt out and tired and feel on the outside don't feel safe or in a place to put the weirder stuff down and to have those weirder ideas because they think they might be shut down. So if we're looking for business tangible reasons that everyone can agree with to create inclusive studios, then I can't think of a better one than making all the work better and bringing the standard of all the work up. That's capitalistic because... though. I know, I know. It is. That's it why is. I hate that result. Like the happy people make better workers. They, they make better workers. They make more money for the company. I, you're totally right. I just, I, that's the sentiment that always makes me feel uncomfortable when people say it because it's like, it's like no. the easy, it feels sometimes a little bit almost like the easy, not the easy win, but the most, the easiest to digest. Because it's like, if you do X, Y, Z, it's going to make your output better. Well, um, they say, you know, diver- do be more diverse, you'll make more money. You know, that's not the solution. That's not what diversity is about. Diversity is about equity. It's about bringing up people who are harmed and like making a better environment. It's not about making better work. Maybe the byproduct is that, but that is a, shouldn't be the pursuit. Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe that, I'm just a cynic. No, I, no. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think that's a nice way to look at it. Is you go in from the problem rather than the solution, right? Absolutely. It's going to be longer lasting. Oh wow! I didn't get through all my questions. This always happens. Um, this topic was absolutely huge, though, and it's like I mentioned at the start. It's quite nuanced, and it. It means different things to different people. So as you're listening, you know, take what you hear with a pinch of salt. Everyone's experience is is different and everyone's opinions are really personal. And this is a subject that is huge and it's a tricky one to broach. So I feel like what we've done today is open lots of little doors that maybe are other conversations. Like we talked a lot about how do you be heard in your studio by your colleagues and by your boss? And that's probably an episode on its own, but we need to like start the ball rolling to kind of unlock what those conversations are so yeah uh thank you so much everyone for today and thanks for thanks for joining me absolute legends today and seeing as you stuck around all the way to the end then i'm going to take that as you agree so let me know what you thought share your opinions your stories at the nda podcast on twitter and insta or you can leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I read them all. They're really lovely. So thank you. Uh, if you want to be involved or want to recommend someone, then you can do that there too. Thanks to Jamie and Toby for the soundtrack and James from Be Heard for the editing. Don't forget, everything's uploaded on YouTube with closed captions. So if you prefer to see your content rather than hear it, that's over there for you too. I'm Katie Cadwell. This is NDA. Catch ya. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. 
Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. 